What's the name of that Justin Timberlake song? Songs by Justin Timberlake include <laughs> Can't Stop the Feeling, Say Something, and 23 Others. Yeah, what, what are the 23 others? Welcome aboard Beef Station as we hurtle through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. Yeah, let's go. How are we doing, boy? What are we doing? This what are week? we wearing? Fashion report. <laughs> Fashion report. Uh, work jeans. Work socks. Work jeans. Work That's jeans. an interesting concept. That's right. That really narrows down which sector you're in. <laughs> 2019, buddy. <laughs> um yeah, you know, you know what? You're not not a fashion reporter. I'm particularly proud the, of the result of the denim sector. The denim sector. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, by the way, I'm a denim engineer. I work in the Canadian tuxedo <laughs> industry. Hey, <laughs> <Yeah>. hey. <laughs> um, this week we're doing a Martin Scorsese classic. Yeah, I didn't realize it was this recent. It Goodfellas is the movie we're doing this One, week. One nine nine zero. Is the number of years past the year zero that oh, this film right, okay. came out? Yeah, it came out in 1990. That's what I said. For all of those who don't speak in Latin. Um, <laughs> starring. I don't know what the, the right declension is to say came out. Robert De Niro. Yep. And some bloke who I've never seen before. Ray Liotta, who's mm. very famous. He's been in a lot of shit. The Ray Liotta was only in the old, <laughs> the old three episodes. I think I drove a Ray Liotta on the way <laughs> here, huh? In episodes one, two, and three, it wasn't a Ray Liotta. It was a CGI Yoda. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and it That's <laughs> very a lot good. of flack. That's very good. <laughs> You gotta say it with an Australian accent too. It doesn't really work in any other accent. <laughs> that was a rail yada. That was a rail yada. <laughs> Fuck, is that a rail yada? No, mate. It's, nah, uh, it's a fake one. Mate. It's a fake one. <laughs> Let me just. <laughs> I got. In case, in case you haven't realised, listeners, I'm stalling while I look up shit on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Goodfellas. <laughs> Not one good fella. <laughs> is fellas a collective noun for gangsters? I don't know. No, they're like good fellas. They're like they're good fellas, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, I thought we might start the episode then. Yeah. Um, if there wasn't wasn't as much. <laughs> what if? Yeah. yeah. I uh, thought we might just to, start the episode. Do you want to start now? <laughs> I thought we might start the episode with a bit of the news this week. Yeah. See how it is getting the news up at the start. See how they run. Where it's fresh. Beef Bulletin. Here we go. Hit me. Slap me in the face with some news, buddy. Take that. Current affairs. Probably the biggest news to come out of this week, if we're starting with a little bit of Beef Bulletin, yet more changes that the Academy Awards have announced to their award ceremony that's coming up at the end of the month. Who's hosting it this year? Not with this. No, no one. So the first one is that they've officially said that no one's going to be. I think they've officially said that no one's going to be hosting it. Uh, I think it's <laughs> they use some weasel language of like no. At this point, no announcements have been made about yeah. Yeah. So, but I think they actually might have like in the last couple of days said, well, we're formally proceeding at this point without a host or some shit like that. Yeah. Whatever. Um, Fuck the academy. So the new. Uh, 
decision about the way they're going to try and like, I think they're trying to jazz up the award ceremony or sort of like try and find it more appealing for ratings and things because no one fucking watches the broadcast yeah, anymore. it's not profitable enough. Yeah, well, so like... It's becoming only a way to recognise <laughs> artists for their work. And, <laughs> and that's not man, really what they're going has for. has that never um, paid off. And so the news this week uh, is that they're going to try and trim the <laughs> trim the show's runtime so it's under three hours this hey, time. Hey, what do you want to cut? Do you want to cut all of the bullshit with the music and shit? No. <laughs> just cut out a few awards yeah. from the um, awards night. So uh, now on, during the live broadcast, the awards, four awards have been moved to the commercial break. This year it's going to be cinematography, makeup and hairstyling, film editing, and live action shorts. So when we say that, what it means is those won't air to television. Instead, they'll just cut to commercials. Right? Yeah. But I, th- I, th- I think I read they somewhere will them air saying live that they're on gonna their website. Oh yeah, no, I think I think I read somewhere that they were saying like when the broadcast is maybe re-aired or when it's put together, they're going to cut those in. So I don't quite understand what's going on here. But um, so we were talking about this. What we're not sure is is the uh, is the broadcast going to be shorter in length. Or no, it is going to be shorter in length. Yeah, yes, okay. right. it is. No, we, we weren't sure before. Maybe they're just trying to tack on more ads. My suspicion was, yeah, they were just like <laughs> replacing, no. like balancing the content with ads. No, I think the whole point yeah. of this change is that they're going to try and make the broadcast shorter right. because at the moment it's like way too fucking long and no one's watching it. It goes for like three or four hours or some shit. Yes, yeah, so yeah. it, it used to be more than three. They're going to try and make this less than three, but I suppose it's lives. So we're never going to know until it actually happens. Mm. Um, Spicy. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that? What do you think of their choices? Editing, cinematography? Well, Al- weird. Alfonso Cuaron, director of Roma, had some had I mean, some things to say <laughs> about mean, that. They're definitely weird choices because, I mean, if you're and choosing... Guillermo del Toro. I mean, maybe there are more... Maybe that's not the, the comprehensive list of all awards that are broadcast during the ads at the moment because, like, maybe, like, what, sound... Uh, sound mixing? Maybe that was already in the commercial breaks? Right. Because... If that's it, like, why are they choosing to get rid of sound editing but not sound mixing? Well, cinematography know, like, and fucking editing. Yeah, are, but the other two are hair and makeup and sound editing. Why not get rid of costumes as well? Yeah, it is very strange. Very strange. So maybe there are more than those cut. But categories also, like, that have been cut in previous years. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It just feels weird. I mean, cinematography is a weird one. There are, if you're going to pick any, I'd, I'd keep cinematography. Yeah, exactly. It just feels like there were there would always be better choices than those two. I kind of agree with best editing, best live action short, and best makeup and hairstyling. Those seem like industry awards where if you're in that industry, it's very important. It's really important. But no one else, like I could, I think for the most part, I don't think many people could even tell you what makes good editing in a film. Right. Like even our editing pick that we did on our best of episode, like I said, oh Vice. But that's just the film with the most obvious editing. Imagine this. Imagine that the Academy recognizes that advertising doesn't work, right? <laughs> I mean, it does, but not well. And instead, they crowdfund the awards ceremony so that if you yeah, subscribe it's not the or buy certain, airing it, it's the fucking whatever network has yeah, the rights fuck to it. Go independent. It. And then, like, broadcast it on, literally broadcast it on Twitch. <laughs> that would be cool. Just crowdfund the shit and then play all of the ads because people, like, if you're into that stuff, you don't give a fuck whether or not it's just the best picture or whatever. You'll tune in yeah. and out. But people would subscribe to that. I'd subscribe. If I knew that the money I that I was... definitely would not tune if in. If I knew that the money that I was paying was going to the awards and not, like, a fucking car company, yeah. then... Or even if they were sponsored, I don't really give a shit. I think I think most people I aren't going to care. Start crowdfunding more shit, man. I hate fucking... <laughs> yeah, I, I hate know. the idea of like ratings. Because the only reason ratings matter, really, is because something could be more profitable if more people saw the commercials in between the content. 
That is the only reason ratings matter. Well, yeah, because that's the only way that television networks can afford to pay for anything. Yeah, I know. And it's bullshit. Because people should be able to buy directly the content that they want, which is the way that like a crowdfunding. I suppose works. the problem is, man, that if you had to pay for every single piece of media that you want to consume, you wouldn't be able to consume very much media. Well, that's the thing about crowdfunding is it's like and and gen- in general like direct direct <laughs> to producer payment is much cheaper because you don't have to pay for all of the fucking production costs. And yeah, but you costs. specifically, like all the shit that I watch on YouTube, that's like just like ripped off some dude's like BBC channel or whatever. Yeah, like um. There's so much media, I'm confident, that we are able to view and benefit from because advertising exists to be able to fund it in the first place. Like, well, advertising exists to fund the networks who fund the shows. If, like, there would be so many shows that people wouldn't crowdfund and so just would never exist Mm. just because it's not StarCraft 6. I think if there was more of a culture of doing it, then it might, like, it might might balance out. I think if there was more, if if crowdfunding, because, like, it's big in, in sort of, the circles of a lot of different modern forms of art. Well, then think think of how many shows are on networks that, like, the network have all these people out there that are in charge of, like, looking for cool stuff to give funding to. And there are some networks that I imagine give funding to shows that aren't necessarily people's radar. Yeah. But, like, they they get off the ground because some network guy takes a chance and it's huge. Like, online, the culture of, like, what gets popular online is so different and so yeah. short-sighted. That like I'm convinced if we, mm. it was just crowdfunding, all we, all we get is weird pop culture shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm I don't really care about the ma- hair and makeup <laughs> awards being cut. I don't think um, anything. I mean, maybe I care for the people me, that, but that won't get recognized, sucks. and they'll still get recognized. But like, I in, feel like in the industry, which is the most important, I part wouldn't of it. have. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so like, yeah. they're still they're still getting the award. Yeah, but like, yeah. I don't give a shit about best short length documentary or whatever like I don't really know enough about them anyway so it's the sort of thing where like if you're in the industry you'll get it and if you don't you won't right I don't like I couldn't really, I couldn't really give a shit it's, it sucks that cinematography is going there yeah yeah I don't know I yeah I think the fact that um, a few very important directors have spoken out and sort of said you're sort of starting to cut the bread and bread and bread and butter of the art there man like <laughs> Yeah. Well, I agree with them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a big industry thing, but I think that yeah. outside of that, I think most people aren't going to give a shit. Yeah. Um, uh, Walt Disney Company has bought Fox a little while ago. We know they bought 21st Century Fox for like $70 billion or something. Yeah, a scary um, amount of so money. So people were wondering... Definitely enough money to fix every problem that exists in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, but now they own Deadpool. And so people were wondering, <laughs> like, oh, well, w- w- Disney is famous for like trying to keep a squeaky clean reputation. Like famously, yeah. they fired... Old mate from Guardians of the Galaxy for something he tweeted eight years James ago. James Gunn. Yeah. Um, so people are saying people are wanting to know whether films like Deadpool and huh? Logan. What What about when Deadpool says cunt? Yeah. Huh? What about that? <laughs> Disney fire Deadpool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, you gotta string Ryan Reynolds up. Disney's announced today they're gonna string Ryan Reynolds up. And oh, no. <laughs> no, they've announced they've not, announced today boy. that they are going to continue to make R-rated superhero movies. Yeah, good. Because um, you know why. Because it's fucking profitable. Yeah, that exactly. is the only reason why. It's the yeah. only reason why they were scared about fucking James Gunn because they thought that he was going to cost them money because a bunch of people threatened to like boycott the films and shit. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Um. Apparently, the so only distinction is that they said that they're going to be that they sort of he sort of hinted towards the idea that they might not necessarily be a part of the rest of the Marvel universe or that they might not be marketed in the same way as the Avengers movies are so people don't confuse the R-rated ones with the the big 
Avengers-y ones. Right. So we don't quite know about that yet. So there's. So there's does that mean like, yeah, we'll make a new Deadpool film, but it won't be Deadpool. It will it, be... No, it'll be slapped with like... Dude pole. <laughs> it'll be... <laughs> shred pole. Um, no, it, it just won't be slapped with all the Avengers type marketing and... Like it, it might not be part of that cinematic universe. How are they going to market a film that's part of that universe? That is, but if it's it not, not part be. of the universe, so they, are they? It just might gonna, not be Avengers canon. Are they just going to say like, okay, folks, I know that Deadpool exists in this universe, but he doesn't. Right. Yeah. yeah no, I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't quite way. understand what the difference. I get is. if it's new IP, like, but if they're doing a series that's already been part of something, that's fucking weird. Yeah. All no, right, it's really sure. weird. Okay. Um, so I think they just want to be able to clearly differentiate between like which. Films are these R-rated superhero films, and which ones are like the MCU ones that everyone's they want everyone to come and see and like see all of them, and all the kids come well, to see. If it only you that. could differentiate them based on the rating. Yeah. <laughs> no. Fuck. Um. <laughs> I mean, we'd be amiss not to cover this. This next story. Oh, this is a real um, doozy. <laughs> Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's manager <laughs> had. Uh, one of the worst <laughs> days of his life, I think, is the best way to summarize this story. He woke up to his phone yeah. actually catching fire from uh, <laughs> um, from the sheer like. I know they say, <laughs> folks, they say there's only good publicity, <laughs> but I reckon, <laughs> I reckon we might have a first example of bad publicity. What about if I said I wanted to go out into the street at night and commit a hate crime, and I said that publicly? How would that be? You'd be happy if I said that, wouldn't you? As my manager. Fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, Under the least pressure. <laughs> in his defense. Here we go. In the defense of I'm a racist. I'm not affiliated with anything that's about to be said. And it's horrible what he said. He said, and started off the comment by saying, I am horrified that I ever did what I'm yeah, about to say. Yeah, we are. D- like, and it happened 40 years ago. As a society, we're condemning a man for, like, he condemned himself. But for firstly acknowledging he was wrong yeah. and that he's grown. Like, I think the question yeah. was like, when have you ever... Because he's he's in some movie that we want to cover soon called Cold Pursuit. Hell yeah. It's like this sort of revenge action-y movie. And so the journalist was like... It's about a it, dude chasing a fucking yeah. iceberg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you haven't it's seen Titanic, difficult. have you? Yeah. <laughs> um, in, Literally, no. So it, it was in some interview where the journalist just flippantly asked something like, when have you wanted to seek revenge? Yeah, it was, and he could very it easily was like character have, motive. Yeah, and he could very easily have been like, oh, once someone knocked my ice cream out of my hands <laughs> and I thought, oh, you little... I'd, 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 I'd tell you yeah. for free, um, but he was like... And then he was like, but the guy that knocked the ice cream out of my hand was black, so what I did was... <laughs> <laughs> so he said, like... Um, and if you haven't heard the story, he said, like, oh, now I'm horrified that I ever thought this, that I ever said this, and I'm, I'm horrified by it. And then he sort of proceeded to tell this story where, like, a friend of his was sexually assaulted, and so for, like, a week, he would just, like, hang out in the city and just, like, the, hope that... So the crucial detail that you're missing out there is that the person that sexually assaulted them was black. Was black. Now. And so he harbored that this That doesn't matter for anything no. else other than what that person is, obviously. He would go out intentionally looking for black people to, to like, start fight fights him. with. And, yeah. And, and, uh, so he was basically holding... An entire race responsible for the actions of one person in, of that race. Yeah, like, yeah. But like he said, like I am horrified by this. Yeah, yeah. And so like yeah. and when uh, it was a long time ago and all that sort of shit. And it's terrible, terrible. Yes. We can't. Yeah. We, 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 beef station doesn't want to da- <laughs> accidentally come out pro racism. Yeah, I mean, like to be to be. Uh, I I think that his comments puzzle me <laughs> because like it's just the type of thing where I feel like 
the smart thing to do would have been to quietly recognize your personal growth and yeah. just never mention it to anyone yeah, ever yeah, abs- again. I'd be absolutely. like, well, thank God that nothing happened in- and I can stay in my own head. But he was honest about it in a way that was like trying to interact with his own like yeah. personal so hate. He was, he was like weirdly, weirdly honest in a way that yeah. was completely it's unnecessary. Like, Mate, you're not supposed to be that honest yeah. about that type of thing. I kind of like that he's honest and that he's talking about himself As and this like, personal yeah. growth. And I kind of, on the one hand, I kind of hate that the media is like, Liam Neeson is a racist. Oh, it's the easiest clickbait headline in the world. And it's a, it's actually a very understandable and human situation to be in. Again, I don't understand... But at his, the same time, I don't racist. understand his thought processes. Yeah. But I understand that if you had those thought processes, a good person, other than that, might act in the way that he did. Yeah. So I think, like... I think a lot of people have those types of thoughts and biases and awful associations based on, you know, single incidents like that. Yeah. And they just never admit it to themselves or interact with their their bias or hate in any in any way. So I mean, yeah. Don't really feel qualified to say anything about it. It's just fucking incredibly strange. Um, it's the weirdest story. I don't of the week. even know <laughs> I don't know what words to use to <laughs> even start to describe and it. I just can't imagine the f- the, the nightmare week that his agent just would have had. like he gets out of that interview. What's going like, through his head? He said what? Yeah, <laughs> it was someone like waiting off camera that was just like, "What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> like, or like this if they knew about it, or like th- that was the first they'd ever heard of it. I just want to. What I want to. <laughs> I, I want to be a fly on Neeson's shoulder for the week following that interview and <laughs> just see, just yeah. see what happened. Like fucking hell, yeah. Um, interesting story. We heard about Netflix uh, wanting to go not Netflix, but we've heard about Disney wanting to go into their own streaming service coming up. Yeah. Um, famously, it's difficult to get a hold of, or it has been in the past difficult to get a hold of specific copies of Disney movies on Blu-ray or VHS or whatever the most recent format of the day is. Yep. Um, because they often like try to bank them up and release it. Banking up stuff to get on their streaming service. Right. Captain Marvel's this new Marvel movie that's coming out. Yep. And the story here says that Disney is not going to release it on Netflix, and it's the first time they've ever done that with a Marvel movie. It's going to cost them $150 million. It's gonna. It's not going to cost them shit. Well, because Netflix They're going to make $150 billion when they release it on their personal streaming service. Yeah, so. right. And so they're saying, he said it's like a... The head, of, head of Disney is saying it's a, an investment in their streaming service that's going to be coming yeah. out in the future because it's not going to be available on Netflix. It will be available on the Disney thing. But they're taking a $150 million gamble on that shit. That's not a gamble. They'll... I mean, no, really. I'm, not, I'm sure a shit not gonna. Are there, are there gonna be that many? I mean, they do own a shitload of stuff, don't they? Yeah. Oh no, I forgot they own everything. Yeah, yeah. But want to watch fine. a Star Wars movie ever again? <laughs> yeah, you're paying a subscription fee now, buddy. Welcome to hell. Oh no. Yep. I I just thought like oh, I don't want to watch Aladdin. Yeah, no. <laughs> if you want to watch basically anything, any Fox Studios movie might end up being on that. Like, think about how fucking often you see the Fox logo. And, like, every single one of those needs to be on... I don't know about, Fo- like, Fox Searchlight. I'm not sure if they own that, but, like... Know. They'd be pretty sweet. If you ever want to watch Vice, that's the Disney subscription service, you know? Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, Why the Crazy. Last Man uh, is going to be Ooh, a hey, complete so series on FX. Now, uh, a lot of people probably don't know what Why the Last Man is. It's as in the letter Y colon the last man. It is a visual or a graphic novel that starts off with every male in the world, bar a few, dying of like some horrible fucking disease of every species. So um, the protagonist is uh, 
a a man who for some reason doesn't isn't susceptible to it and he then has to navigate a world basically of only women. So it's this post-apocalyptic, almost Walking Dead-ish kind of world. They die in like the space of a day. So like, yeah, it's like everyone. It's like, it's like cars. Everyone wakes up one day and like yeah. millions and millions of people. Planes falling out of the sky and shit. Fantastic graphic novel. Really good. Really great. I'd highly sci-fi encourage world. You, you can get it on Kindle. Yeah, it's now going to be a series okay. on FX, which is very exciting. No. Um, Guillermo del Toro's got a new movie coming out. It's called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah, so this it's is an actually an adaptation. adaptation of a kid's book. Yeah. It was teased during the Super Bowl. Look forward to that coming out. Mm. Uh, so these were apparently very popular. I saw a lot of excitement mm. about these, but I've never heard of them. So yeah, I don't know either. if they were kind of America-centric. They might have missed us. It seems like basically Goosebumps. I think, but, uh, o- yeah, but, okay. but older and... I mean, Guillermo del Toro is a wild choice for that. That'd be really it's, cool. Uh, I think it's older and less poppy. Oh, he kind of likes that creepy horror shit, especially when it's rooted in, like, kind of kids' fantasy narratives. So, right. I don't know. It's, it seems... it Maybe it seems like a weird fit, but I actually think it kind of makes sense. Right. Um, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, the dude who played the original Shaft, and a guy who played Shaft in some other movie recently, <laughs> have come together for a new movie called Shaft, where three different actors, all playing different versions of this detective Shaft, are all in the same movie. Three what's, generations of what's Shaft. What's happening to cinema? Man? You know Shaft? Yeah. Shaft! No, I know it. But like... Sorry, we're getting a film once again. I'll I'll, I'll recount but this quickly. They're, they're we're getting a movie about if Pikachu was a detective yeah, played yeah, by yeah, Ryan yeah, Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. And like we're getting a live action Sonic film where he has proper definition on his cars and thighs. And three and generations of Shaft, baby. What if what if Shaft was in every Shaft movie yeah. and it was the same movie? <laughs> it's That's the crazy. original Shaft from 1971, Samuel L. Jackson's Shaft from the year 2000, and like a new Shaft. I feel like and recently, three generations of Shaft. I feel like recently I I kind of reached this conclusion where I was like. Uh, originality's dead, and sequels are the only thing that profit well, and so, like, we just have no new ideas, and then the entire industry has just come around and said, well, while they're doing that, boy, we got some new shit for you. I mean, it's it's new shit, and but at the same still time, reboots. it's them wringing every last drop yeah. out of old shit to the point where it's getting fucking great. Which, honestly, yeah, I'm way more on board with, because yeah. my, my millennial built-in irony is just fucking <laughs> loving it. Did you see Weezer is coming out with a brand new album of covers? They released Is it a new covers of like their own music or no, something. No, like shit? they released a new a new single today and it's Take On Me. They're Fuck. doing a whole album of like like just famous covers. Famous covers that they got cyberbullied into. Uh. So like yeah, like Weezer have become a living meme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well what else have they got to do? <laughs> I don't know. You know how the the guy from Weezer writes lyrics? Every time He puts them in a bag or something, doesn't he? Dude, and, like, every time he hears a sentence that he likes, he'll just like he'll he'll remember it and then when he gets home we'll add it to this spreadsheet and he just has a spreadsheet That's right. full of random sentences and when he has enough random sentences he stitches them together into a song yeah he writes music like a psychopath yeah Apparently not, because he's very popular. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Last headline I thought you might like. I saved us the last for you, boy. New Edgar Wright thriller uh, uh, set in Soho, London, and has just cast Anna Taylor-Joy from... Um, Yeah. If I could keel over and die right now, I would. From that movie about the rich rich ladies. From Thoroughbreds. From Thoroughbreds. Yeah. 
So there you go. That'll be good. Edgar Wright's fantastic. Edgar Wright really is great, actually. Look forward to this yeah. movie so coming So she out. was most recently in uh, Glass, yeah. the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Shyamalan. About um, James McAvoy. Yeah. Oh, man. It'll, this this will be great. It's a psychological horror thriller set in London's Soho district. Mm, cool. I freaking love Edgar Wright. That'll be good. Yeah. Uh, that's the news for the week. Yeah, cool. Should we get into the main event? Yeah, let's do it. The uh, that was the Final Fantasy victory thing. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. I, I feel like I could have probably got a few more, a few more better news segments. There. It didn't feel as rip roarious as it no, usually is. Good. No. Okay. Good. Um. All right. So you you, you decide, listener. Was that was that was that good? <laughs> was that good? Was that good? The question we forever ask ourselves. Yeah. Um. Right. Uh. All right. Right. So this week. We good wa- fellas. We watched Good Jesus. So this is based on. So it came out in 1990. It's based on a book called Wise Guy: Life in a Mafia Family, which is a 1985 non-fiction crime book by crime reporter Nicholas Pileggi mm. that chronicles the life of a man named Henry Hill, who was an actual mafia mobster who turned over to the dark or the light side, depending on who you <laughs> are. Um, and he went into like witness protection and whatever. So yeah. Goodfellas is based on a lot of the material from that book, which is based on another dude's life. So I think this has gone through enough filters that like probably a fair bit of it is quite fictionalized. Yeah. But the general arc, I think, is based in fact, which makes it really interesting. Well, the film, it was, so it's a Martin Scorsese film. Martin Scorsese, of course, most recently has done The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And I got loads of Wolf of Wall Street vibes from this. Yeah, it, um, it has a lot. I yeah. mean, it's based based on fact, and it's got a bit of a, it's got clearly a bit of like a pizzazz and a bit of twist the to it. The more Scorsese that I watch, the more that I feel like he has quite a consistent tone in his films, because I watched this yeah. and The Departed and Wolf of Wall Street within about a day, so... Well, I mean, this film was a lot more... I mean, God, he's done a lot I of movies. Um, I just looked up filmography and his fucking Yeah, he's done of, fucking um, shitloads. So this film was, like, a lot funnier than I expected it to be, in a way where, like, it's often dark and dramatic, but it had these, like... So if you've ever yeah, seen... Great. The Wolf of Wall Street, and you have those like bits where he's narrating to the audience almost, and he's yeah. like quite quirky and funny um, and likable yeah. almost in the way he does the narration. This movie does exactly the same thing with the main character who narrates the whole story. Um, and I think that gave a lot of like this sort of charming kind of tone to it. Yeah. That does well to juxtapose the horrific shit you watch them do on screen. Yeah, I think that's a really effective way of, uh, or technique he uses in his filmmaking in, in terms of the writing and the character development because Ding. it um, it really humanizes these people who yeah. are arguably the bad guys, oh, definitely yeah. the bad guys, <laughs> but uh, you get to see kind of, you, you get to understand why they've made the decisions that they have that have led you to... Be that type of person. Because, yeah. like, one thing that's really... The, the, until you start looking into stories like this is, like, you look at someone who's... Like, I've gotten this a lot looking at... Um, uh, when I've researched, like, Melbourne uh, criminal family heads or something like that. <laughs> right. Out. And, like... Because I, I want to watch Underbelly. I've never seen it. Oh, right? it's and so, so was, good. Yeah. So, I was, like, reading off on some of these people. And, like, you just wonder, how the fuck do you get 
to be that person? Like, what do you, what has to happen in your life for you to kind of fall victim to some of that circumstance and then make some of those decisions and then you just get deeper and deeper and deeper into that type of stuff? Yeah, I mean, it seems like you just can't possibly. You've got to be out. someone's bitch for like a good five years. Yeah, or uh, and and like <laughs> you're, you're the system's bitch because otherwise, like, it wouldn't. You wouldn't need to do that type of stuff. Yeah, hundred anyway, percent. It's uh, so he very well Scorsese uh, in in these films does a very good job of showing you the progression of a character from kind of underling that is, or not underling. Well, it's, it's a, a young person so that becomes enamored with people, and those people represent a very very corrupt and socially. Uh, unfavorable system that that person ends up getting into. So the film starts and is set in New York in the 1950s. Uh, New York in the 1950s, wherever it is. Um, and it starts following this kid, Henry Hill, when he's like 14 or 15. So that's where it really starts. And yeah, he becomes, uh, as you said, quite charmed by these sort of mafiosi types who live in his neighborhood who like everybody respects and, you know, everyone, no one parks in that guy's driveway yeah. and everyone opens the door for that guy. And he's sort of very drawn in by the the appeal of power. Yeah, because um, his dad is like... Is his dad, I, I forget, is his dad a total weak shit or does he like his, kind of, well, is his, he abusive? His dad's not really involved in the, that kind of crime industry at all. Yeah. I think he, I think he's abusive, but at the same time, like he's not really. He's sort of a, like an abusive dork. Well, yeah. So like yeah. Henry is like very drawn in by the idea that like there are all these people and all these real men, men's men that yeah. have respect in the neighborhood and he wants to be like, oh, what can I do to be like that? And he doesn't That's really what aspire. this movie is always about. Yeah. It's always about respect. And and whoever, so, whoever respects the most, whoever's got the <laughs> highest respect levels, is the one who who wins, who gets to be the big crime boss. <laughs> I mean, it's the name of the game. It's respect. Literally a plot the most. synopsis, <laughs> not your finest moment, but that's <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, and so the film sort of um, breezes through his childhood and skips straight into sort of the, the mid seventies where he's now like worked his way into this mafia gang and he's working quite closely with... He's uh, earned a reasonable amount of respect by this point. Yeah, so uh, his character, other than when he's a child, Henry Hill's character is acted by Ray Liotta, who's yeah. actually been in a bunch of shit and has the weirdest eyes of anyone ever. Oh, yeah. Um, it looks like he's wearing eyeliner all the time, even if he's not wearing <laughs> eyeliner. It's fucking bizarre. Yeah. Um, and the uh, other two notable names, yeah, are Joe Pesci, who plays... Tommy. Tommy DeVito. Everyone in this name, everyone in this movie has a name that's like something E. Everyone has the craziest names, and I wrote down Tommy, my favorite gangster names. Jimmy, you ready? Henry. Yeah. So Ray Liotta plays Henry Hill, our main character. Robert De Niro plays Jimmy the Gent. Joe Pesci plays Tommy DeVito. Um, we've also got. <laughs> they walk through like a bar, and he names like fifteen gangsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got Jimmy two times. Because he always says everything yeah. two times. <laughs> it's like, this is where <laughs> jokes come from. Frankie no like, knows. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so we got. I think Johnny Jimmy two times is fucking hysterical. I literally think I've. I, I literally think one of them was called Johnny Roast Beef. Yeah. <laughs> the way that he introduces Johnny two times or whatever the fuck his name is is so fucking funny because. He'll say, like, that's Johnny two times. And, like, before that, you've heard him say something twice. And then he'll be like, that's Johnny two times. He says something twice. And then he's like, he says everything two times. That's why we call him Johnny two times. It's like, 
Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Like a dude eating roast beef and he'll be like, nah, I love roast beef. And he'll be like, that was Johnny roast beef. Fuck. Yeah. This movie you could tell was like this. It spawned a lot of jokes about this type of, of film. It's <laughs> wait, like, wait till I say, Tommy, how you doing? Here it comes now. <laughs> hey, how are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking spider. Tony Stacks, Paulie, Frenchie, Maury Kessler, like the best gangster names. Yeah. So, like, I guess that's sort of... So, the general arc of this movie is kind of hard to explain because another thing that Scorsese chooses to do is it's not really... This movie's not very grandiose. It doesn't have a lot of... um like huge mo- moments. Or like set pieces or like a heist yeah. that they're trying to do. No, it's, it's, it's sort of... Orients itself around uh, a bunch of different key beats in Henry Hill's life and like career as a as a yeah, mobster. and he sort of it takes place over like what probably forty years or something, oh, something like that ins- from when he's a kid. It's most not of like, it takes it's not that long, but like, it's something insane like that. Most yeah. of it takes place when he's in his sort of mid twenties yeah, or yeah. like early twenties. It's but like it goes through till he's like this fucked up yeah. paranoid drug addict. His yeah. whole heyday is from like the seventies to the eight, like the seventies and eighties. Right. And so, um, it's like a day in the life of a mobster yeah. type thing. Yeah. You get yeah. a lot of like a window into all the fucked shit. Yeah. You see doing. his home life and like his relationship with his wife and his, re- how he relates to his kids. And yeah, it's like, so I, I think the Sopranos started after this, right? I'm pretty sure the Sopranos started in 1994. Yeah, I think so. Because like, the thing that was big about The Sopranos, which I have just started to go in on, and it's <laughs> very good, so get ready to fucking hear me never shut up about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so the original release for the first episode of The Sopranos was almost 10 years after Goodfellas. And Goodfellas has this reputation for sort of setting up the the non-ridiculous, like the very humanized, nuanced mob movie, which is one of the yeah. reasons why it's still got a reputation for being the best uh, or one of the best mob movies that's ever been made. And similarly, um, The Sopranos kind of did the first thing that Breaking Bad would go on to do later where it, it, it looked at a man who happened to, from a heuristic point of view, be a bad guy, but it yeah. looked at how he still has to be alive and live his life every day yeah. normally, very normally, as that bad guy and how that actually how he navigates the the worlds of his like underbelly profession and having a family where he still needs to like drop his kids to school most days or whatever. Yeah. And and the more it's similar to that. The more I think about it, the more you really do have comparisons between this and Wolf of Wall Street because there there is this like descent into madness and like drug fucked. Yeah, you you mind you watch them get into the world. You watch them get into that world, and then you watch it slowly creep up on them, and then you watch it encompass them and yeah. like spit them out the other side, just being fucking washed up. And they both kind of start as innocent kids, uh, which is like a weird like. I mean, ob- obviously, it's not like a like a sinister way of representing it because they literally did start as innocent kids. Well, yeah, but it's these, a funny way to um, like you see this person as a child grow to become this very menacing kind of character. And I think that's an important part of it. Like these no 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 one's born doing this type of stuff, you know. They that like within reason. So I think it it's a really important part of these journeys is to show how these systems indoctrinate kids and kind of make them reliant on them or make them appear much more glamorous than they are and then um you know like for instance one of the ways that uh he gets bought in is like he 
he gets given like a shitload of money for a kid that age. He gets given yeah. like some guy t- tells him to take something down the road, and he gives him like a hundred dollars to a seven year old yeah. or something. In the, in and this kid's just like, "Holy fuck!" <laughs> like these must be good people because they give me so much fucking money to just do this stuff. And it's the same with Wolf of Wall Street, where like he kind of comes from humble beginnings, or, and you or get whatever. like enticed by this money, and then he's he realizes like, "Oh, I don't have to be poor. I can just like." Do do things to to make shitloads of money, and then the things that is required of him to to keep making more money become worse and worse and worse and worse. And then, in the same way that uh, Henry Hill's character starts off like dropping shit to the deli down the road, and you know by the end of the film he's figuring out ways to dispose of bodies. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of disposing of bodies, I think it's one of the coolest sort of motifs or like techniques that he has in the film is when it starts. Uh, the film starts right in the middle of like what you think is like a car chase or something when mm. they're like frantically driving away from the scene of the crime and they're like yelling at each other go 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 um, and then it cuts back to 1955 and the first sort of half an hour to 45 minutes of the movie is just leading right back, back up, up to, to that, that moment do they do that in Wolf of Wall Street as well? I don't remember but because um, it does a lot of that stuff yeah and so there's a bit of non-linear type stuff going on where then the first 40 it feels like the movie has a bit of momentum because yeah. it sort of works up to that point and by the time this like flashback sequence where like you're like I don't care he's not a gangster yet who cares about this kid yeah. you're sort of looking forward to getting back to that moment and by the time you get back to that moment in the car um, the whole scene has momentum and you've been watching them to go in this like action action sequence for the last five minutes and the film just keeps going and going and going from there and I think it's a really cool way of starting a movie like you could totally see them having have finished editing the movie without that flashback at the start and of the movie. And then being like, why don't we just cut that there? Yeah. And suddenly the movie's way better. Yeah, and I think one thing that that really achieves is that you get to see this... Um, it gives you a bit of context for the character development because yeah. the three guys at the start of the film that are in the cast speeding away from that crime are, uh, as you said, Henry Hill... Um, there's... Uh, I don't remember the fucking gangster names, but... It's Tommy and Jimmy the Gent. Right, so that is... Uh, Ray Liotta's character, um, Joe Pesci and Robert Joe De Niro. Pesci and Robert De Niro as a, a very young Robert De Niro. Yeah. Um, compared to how we know him now. Yeah. <laughs> compared to how we know him from Meet the I have Fockers. Greg. Could you milk me? <laughs> 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 Who knew that that's where he'd end up in his career after this one? Huh? Um, <laughs> me quoting lines from Meet the Fockers. <laughs> Easy points. Easy runs on the board. So yeah, I think <laughs> what it does is it because you you do get quite a, a a flashing fleeting insight into their characters and just the way that they handle this um this this guy spoiler alert for the first two or three minutes of the <laughs> film is that they have yeah. a, they have a guy in their boot and um Joe Pesci's character ends up stabbing the dude to death and he's angry that the guy's not dead. <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely think you find that out later in the movie, not in the first couple minutes, but <laughs> whatever. No, I'm pretty sure he stabs him. I think so, and then it like cuts away halfway through him stabbing him or okay. something. Okay, yeah, sure. No, they have anyway, a dead body in the boot. Whatever. But this movie's confusing. Yeah. Uh, or maybe you think he's dead and he's not. <laughs> you'll If you have seen it, you'll know what I mean. Loads of dead bodies, it, loads of shootings in this movie. But like it, very early on, Robert De Niro's character is established as being quite cool and collected. Um, Joe Pesci is sort of 
unstable and pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and explosive as well, which obviously factors in. Yeah, I mean, there's and a couple times where he like shoots a guy for no reason. And, and Ray Liotta's character is like the sort of most philosophical and pensive one, who's clearly the one that's most affected by what's going on right at the start. Yeah. And then straight away we cut back to him as a kid. And we see the entire journey that leads up to that point, and we're forced yeah. to see like a direct comparison between right. How do you become someone burying a body when you start off as a kid? Yeah, and that's fucking interesting. And it's just like it's immediate, really, really, really good. Yeah, it's like this immediate contrast. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. So I watched The Departed about the same time, uh, which is a New York crime film uh, starring Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon, um, where they sort of are both undercover for the good or the bad guys, respectively. Right. And um, you sort of similarly see... So, Jack Nicholson is, like, um, Matt Damon's mentor, I think. But you see that that's a similar process of sort of indoctrination from a young age, but he skips it a lot, and he, he, he skims over it a lot faster. Right. And I feel like it doesn't necessarily... I I really... I mean, maybe it would have been that he repeated too many kind of habits and stuff if he did it again. Yeah. But I think it was so effective that I almost would have preferred to see that slow character journey. Because The Departed was very much more about when you're in this situation of, like, being a double agent, trying to find a double agent that's trying to find a double agent. <laughs> how does, like, how does that go? I mean, so it's almost all... more of a... It's a good movie, and, and it's interesting in its concept, but I felt like it just... It was so much less compelling. I just almost wanted to skip to the end of the movie and find out what happens, because the actual scene-to-scene was much less interesting than it was in Goodfellas. So, it, you know, every scene in Goodfellas, I was like... Taking a new bite of a food I really enjoyed. Yeah. It was like, oh, this I, I can't wait to see how this particular scene plays out. Whereas every scene in The Departed was like, hurry up and give me the next bit of story progression because I'm interested enough to be compelled but not interested enough to really properly watch and enjoy what I'm watching. Yeah. I definitely think that Goodfellas is interesting in that it wasn't really driven by story as much as it was driven by the characters yeah. and by just this world that you're sort of getting a window into yeah and so like there'll be a scene where they're just like roughing up like the owner of some shop for like loan money mm. and that'll go on for ages and you watch them beat the shit out of this guy and that's just really interesting to see them watch and it's How really sort interact. of like brutal and savage yeah. and then there'll be all sorts of different things like that where you see them like planning whatever or just having a, having a conversation in a cafe um and it's not really about anything right but you've never seen you know, mafiosi type dudes discussing okay. that sort of shit. That's before. a really good way to compare it. So let's say, whereas like the departed is like focusing on an endpoint. If there's one end of the spectrum that is, uh, let's go Seinfeld. You can put yeah. you you have these characters, and that's the core of the film. Yeah, and you can put these characters in any situation, and it'll sort of write itself. Yeah, you know. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have like, I don't know, fucking. Lord of the Rings or something where yeah. it's, it's entirely rooted in what is the storyline yeah. that these characters who really could be anything and you just have to pick some characters there's a specific goal go and that's the whole story exactly yeah. and there's a start point and an end point and what happens is <laughs> in between <laughs> the those beginning things. of Lord of the Rings is literally we have to throw this ring in the mountain fucking who wants to come with yeah. me <laughs> uh, got, I'm around some hobbits yeah. is there any hobbits who want to put and their hands just, up it's literally just hands up and they're like well we got nine nine people yeah. is that oh fuck it who cares <laughs> um, <laughs> should we put a cap on this hey we got a bunch of uh, pretty good looking <laughs> fellows <laughs> yeah fellows oh 
Man, they should have called this one the Fellowship. <laughs> the Fellowship of the Good. <laughs> See, I definitely had a of the something lined up, and I just couldn't quite like stick the landing. Trick is to drop your standards, baby. Yeah, then you'll be as sorry. quick as me. <laughs> um, so I, I think what where Goodfellas sits is it's way on the Seinfeld end of the spectrum, where it's yeah. much more about the fact that these characters um, are really unique well-developed personalities that will interplay off each other strongly and that's what's interesting. Whereas The Departed, I think, sits right in the middle of those two things where your storyline is very well set up in that you can give someone the storyline without describing any of the characters. So you say like... Yeah, it's about a double. You said before, like double agents, a guy and double who agents wants to be a cop and a cop who wants to be a bad guy, and those, and they're trying to find each other first. Yeah, you know, and it's like, okay, well, who are they? It doesn't matter really, because you can put anyone in those situations. Yeah. but if you, d- the the thing that Scorsese does is he also gives them interesting backstories, and so you feel like these characters could kind of interplay off the characters that they're interacting with. But the yeah. much more interesting thing is this: the surrounding storyline and context. Yeah, right. Whereas in Goodfellas, the interesting thing is who these people are. Yeah, and so I think that they do. A, I think without having seen that a part of it, it definitely sounds that like they do a lot better job of doing that in Goodfellas. But it does mean that like the good Goodfellas isn't really about anything. Yeah, and like when there is like a central, a central job. That happens in the middle of the movie. Like, I think it's interesting that they talk about, like, oh, we're going to rob all the money that's going to be on this, like, Lufthansa plane. Yeah, which was a real heist. Yeah, but, like, you don't actually see it happen yeah. at all. Literally, no. the main character sitting at home on the couch or some shit, and he, he gets finds a phone call went. that they yeah. went great. And so, like, in any other film, if they've been talking about this Lufthansa heist for the last yeah. 15 minutes, you get to see it. And but it's in this, really- you don't. It's it's interesting because I think, uh, once again, referencing The Sopranos, The Sopranos does that a lot. So he's like, um, Tony Soprano is kind of the the big guy in town, you know. <laughs> All right, mate. Um, and like we he know he's fat. You didn't have to bring it up every time. <laughs> yeah, but but not but not a hundred percent because there's a bit <laughs> of complication about that. And so like you see him. Yeah, like PMI be, isn't necessarily representative yeah, of like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of the because he's so important, he's actually like in the grand scheme of the mob, middle management, but yeah. he's upper middle management. So a lot of the time, it's like him getting a phone call and being like fuck, you guys suck so much that <laughs> now I have to come and help you out <laughs> or whatever. And it's yeah. really interesting because a lot of the time he's like stuck there with his kid and he's like, fuck, if you guys were fine at your fucking jobs, I wouldn't have to help you out here. But yeah. now I have to get you unstuck because you don't know what you're doing. And so get it's it, good shit. It's, get it. It's like, ugh, now we have to show the audience the action. Yeah. I was sitting here at home. But I really like the idea they that don't. like, yeah, well, I really like the idea that in Goodfellas, it's so focused on the characters and just like small intimate scenes yeah. in these characters' lives that, like, they don't really feel any need to show you these big action sequences because they often aren't. I think, like, a masterpiece scene in this film is when he starts off... So it's quite late um, in the, yeah. the storyline. So let's go... I don't think we've got too much more to talk about, but, um, like, in general. <laughs> but spoilers for the rest of the film. So it's quite late in his career as a mobster and he is, like, this paranoid, fiendish coke addict... But he also still lives with his family and whatever, and he hasn't been arrested yet. Um, but he lives in fear because he like kind of made some decisions that alienated him from parts of the mob that were very important. Anyway, yeah. So he s- it starts off this scene with him making meatballs in his family home. <laughs> oh yeah, and he keeps checking on <laughs> and the he meatballs. Has to, <laughs> he has to go into a store, <laughs> but like multiple phone calls he makes back to his family home to be like, stir the fucking meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> 
funny I, shit. I wrote that down that I love that, like, in the middle of him doing all this mobster shit, his singular focus is his, his like, marinara sauce. Yeah, because he can't... He, it's like, <laughs> he wouldn't be a really true Italian if he couldn't, like, show his culinary prowess cooking for his family. Yeah. But also, he's, like, doing bumps... In between trying to trying to manage over the phone, someone else making his meatball sauce, like it's fucking great, and it's just this really strong like metaphorical kind of coalescence of like him having to balance being a mobster <laughs> and balance being an Italian family man, and really not doing either well enough to succeed properly by the end of the film. It's 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 really good. I really liked it. Yeah. I think I think one of my favorite scenes towards the end of the movie is I um, mean it comes right after there's this like scene in a cafe where uh Robert De Niro and Henry are just sort of sitting there talking. Yeah. And uh, there's this like the longest ever vertigo shot. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's the vertigo shots like where the camera is zooming in, in, but the background moving. appears to be distancing Yeah, and itself. so the background's all fucked. And so even though the shot looks totally It's actually static. done by changing the aperture yeah. <laughs> and the zoom at the same time, I think. <laughs> it's not aperture, mate. The way it's actually done the F-stop is by moving... The camera's moving forwards, but the, ca- the lens is zooming out, which is why like it looks like it's more compressed. But it affects the depth of field, and yeah, so it, it makes the background look more compressed, which is actually in effect... It's focal lengths and focal lengths of black magic. But then there's this scene like right after that where Robert De Niro gets in a in a phone booth and receives bad news and just absolutely beats the shit out of this phone and then breaks down. And it's like a rare moment where you barely see this dude emoting in the whole movie. Because De Niro really is, cool. is always the the... The level-headed character. Yeah, yeah. yeah and exactly. he, This is him properly fucking losing it. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, you hear Henry Hill talking about how he's losing it. Jimmy the Gent is, like, starting to slowly kind of, like, become more paranoid and distrust people around him. Yeah. And, and then that's, like, the final... The time you see him break and you're like, oh, Henry's right. Like, he's starting to lose his grip. Yeah. And it's really well, well put together. Yeah. I think I'm... Oh, man, there are loads of little moments in this that I loved that have a big effect. For example, all his narrations always in the past tense, in like the distant past tense. Yeah, so you know and it's, so you it's know, already happened. You know it's already happened, obviously, but like it's it's all it's all like phrased in such a way where like you know that it's in like the distant past and that he is like a survivor that's long past this and he's sort of looking back. Yeah, and just, like a relic sort of, of the era. Like the tone he's giving just means like, you're like, oh man, what's happened? It feels like it's building right. to something. So even when like nothing's happening in the whole movie, just the, the fact that there's narration, it sounds like he's narrating the whole story after some momentous event. Yeah. About like, what's this fucking event that everything's building towards? Yeah. That's making yeah, him talk that's, about that's it. That's making in this him way. talk about this big, yeah, long, distant past point. kind of way. Yeah. And I just thought about it whenever there's like some nothing scene going on and you get a bit of narration, you're like, oh, fuck, it really just sort of adds to the tension. And you would mm. never even think of just like the tense, the tense of the language that someone uses just changes the way you feel. Yeah, factoring in so much. Which yeah. is crazy. You said there were a lot of good moments. Did you think it was funny? Yeah. I think I thought there were heaps of funny scenes, or like charming scenes. There was lots of lots of intense, violent stuff, and lots of like stuff where characters were being really cruel and callous. Yeah, yeah. But I think that there were enough funny scenes. It was not nowhere near as funny as like the Wolf of Wall Street, where Wolf of Wall Street was definitely trying to feel like at times it was like deliberately trying to be absurd. Yeah, and comedic, and like like a fucking Cirque du Soleil show, but for drugs. Mm. <laughs> um, but whereas this is, yeah, I thought it was funny. Sure. Did funny you, how? You, <laughs> 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 
funny how? <laughs> I don't know. Like I just I just thought that like you know they were jokes and they were inter- they were they were funny. They were entertaining. You know, like funny like ha ha or like funny like weird funny. I'm done with this. Bit. I don't know. What you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gladly kept it going. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know how the rest of it went. <laughs> so I think it's like 12 more minutes of Rayleigh just being like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> That's actually I, like he totally. Got I know me. it's iconic, but yeah, yeah it, that is one of the best moments in the whole film. That's my whole fucking job, man. Is people making a joke <laughs> that is like all the people I work with. It's like people making a joke that could easily be misconstrued as completely serious. Yeah, and, it, and then like the joke is like, "Oh, you idiot! You thought yeah. I was offended? Oh, ho, ho. I can't believe you thought that." Even though it was completely plausible. Imagine setting up someone in a way that uh, is, is completely believable and then laughing at their expense when they believe yeah. you for it. Like, it'd be an equivalent of like, oh, I'm vegetarian, actually, really? <laughs> no! No, it'd be the equivalent of like, someone's late to a live event and you tell them that it's uh, that the seating is, is arranged. Yeah, and, and it's, it's actually not arranged. Not arranged Hilarious! No, that's- so someone gets there and they ask the front of house person whether or not it's allocated seating... And the front of house person just kind of looks at them a little weird and is like, uh, no, it's not front of house seating. And then you look over and like, and the, the people who hypothetically thought it would be really funny to make an incredibly believable joke are like <laughs> veritably pissing themselves at how funny it is that this person just believed the believable thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not speaking from anecdotal evidence, but I think that is I funny. Am. If your friend is late to a gig and it's not allocated seating and you tell them it's allocated seating to stress them out, I think that's funny. I think that's funny. Listeners, <laughs> there's a story behind this. There's a new poll. There's it a out new poll up, baby. <laughs> Was the seat gag funny? Was it not funny? Will this whole bit be cut out of the final edit? We'll never know. Only time will tell. <laughs> I look um, forward to hearing it. I feel like because this film's not about very much, um, I don't think there's very much longer that we can really sort of talk about how. Um, no, I don't know. Have you got much else on this? No, I, I mean, like, um, I thought that the... So, the, uh, Scorsese is really good at um, the way that he puts his narratives together, like the assembly of his narratives. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Wolf of Wall Street is a great example of that. I personally didn't mind at all that it was three hours long. Um, again, I don't hate really long movies, <laughs> but I thought that the plot was so well put together that it didn't even feel like it was three hours long. And that movie jumps, like, time, like, fucking lots, where it will just... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was going to say, like, like, fucking... Fucking heaps. Like, three times. That's <laughs> not that many times. <laughs> For a film like Goodfellas does it way more than that. And then my brain was like, well, how many times? If you don't use a real example, no one's going to relate to how... I-. Anyway, lots of times. <laughs> It moves back and forth a lot and it shows you kind of like various stages of his life um, and his marriage breaking down and yeah. just the way that how much information from all of the different stages he chooses to give and what moments he chooses to include are really masterful. Yeah. And Goodfellas is, you you see where he's kind of like and, honed his art. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't know this. I think that Goodfellas was written and directed by Martin Scorsese. Right. He helped got help him writing him the screenplay by the guy who wrote the book that it's based on. Sure. But I think it shows what a great writer he is. I had no idea. I would love to know how strongly the book uh, is lifted from for well, this. If, if the book's non-fiction, but. I can't imagine it would... I mean, no, this is... I have no proof for this, but like... Um, I would imagine that the sort of entertaining, sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of tone that the film has is probably not present in a non-fiction book about ma- the mafia. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. 
Jordan Belfort's got a reputation for being like a wisecracking fucking awful person. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe. But also, like, I think all of his films have great comedic writing in them. I've um, never seen very many so other Martin Scorsese films, I don't think. I think literally the only other ones I've seen are... I've got to go in on Taxi the, Driver. The Wolf man. of Wall Street and the George Harrison I've documentary. I've so did. fucking much about Taxi Driver that I really have to have to go in on it. And Shutter Island is really good. Have you seen Casino? Shutter Island? Yeah, I have. I watched that, it with you, actually. Oh, really? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I've I think, seen The Aviator. I think Shutter man, Island was pretty I've good. I've seen a lot of this shit. Uh, but I didn't realize that. Um, welcome, welcome to Beef Station, where we just personally read Mark Scorsese's you, um, filmography off Wikipedia and tell you whether we've seen it or not. You seen uh, <laughs> You seen Boxcar Bertha? No, I haven't. Have you seen Mean Streets? Nope. What, what about, about Italian uh, American? It came out in 1974. York, <laughs> no. Uh, Cape Fear. Cape Fear. Ah. No. Bless you. <laughs> Cape Fear. I hardly know it. <laughs> Oh yeah, and Hugo, that fucking movie about the animated child. Like, oh, so the most interesting thing about Hugo so is that it's actually a film about Henry Melier, and it barely even fucking mentions the guy. Melier. Yeah, George, Henry Melier. George Melier. George yeah. Melier. You know the trip to the moon, silent movie Melier that's in black and white. Later. <laughs> you know that silent film in like, with the moon with the missile that goes into its eye. No. Really. Oh man, he's he's like one of the most iconic directors of all time. He was like one of the first people to sort of fuck around properly with effects in silent movies. Yeah. Um and that movie Moon just like cops it in the eye. <laughs> black and you, white. It's a famous black and white film that you definitely know if you saw the Probably. picture from it. Um but Georges Méliès was this like director from like the twenties who like fucked around a lot with like in camera special effects oh, and yeah, editing yeah, yeah. and like matte techniques um, way back before anyone else was really like seriously doing techniques. it. And he is like the guy who sells the tickets at the train station. Like he's this weirdly small character in that movie. Yeah. Where I thought like, oh man, having a movie that's all about that guy would be awesome. That's almost what this is, but. It- it's also about this fucking kid named Hugo. Right. <laughs> it was really weird, huh. man. Okay. Yeah. It makes me want to watch it a lot more. I thought it was... In my head, Hugo and Polar Express are the same film until I think about either of them individually. Hugo is based on a book that is as thick as The Order of the Phoenix and it has no words in it. It's a picture book that's like 600 <laughs> pages long. It's so cool. I was about to rib the shit out of you for being like, oh, it's got no words in it, but it actually has no words. Okay. No, right, it's a picture book that's 600 pages long uh. and it's only pictures. It's so cool. Wow. Um, it's just a cool idea to like Nifty. make adapt a movie from that. And so the idea that people didn't really dig it, I think it's a shame. Well, because the work's fucking it's, done for you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's already pictures. It's now you just got to make a already. <laughs> and then like... And it'll be a motion fucking picture. It's, it's, it mentions like all this like George Melier stuff. Yeah. And then like... <laughs> at, and they just kind of... I don't know whether he fucked it or not, but the idea that no one isn't talking about Hugo, I think it's a great idea for I think movie. it was pretty popular when it came out. Okay, fine. Cool. In um, like 2004 <laughs> or six or some shit? Oh, 2011. Um, yeah, okay. Well, well um, yeah, well... Is that all? I might watch that. But there's... I think there's like... It's weird because he's made so many fucking movies and a lot of the time when you see someone like this, or anecdotally, a lot of the time, when I see a director like this... I'm interested in like one or two of their films. I've probably already seen both of them. And then the rest of them were like 
crime movies made in the 60s that, that I do that not well. want to watch. Right. Whereas this one, it's like, no, people still talk about Taxi Driver. People still talk about New York, New York. Casino, I've got downloaded on my phone on Netflix <laughs> that I really want to watch. Yeah. I mean, um, de- there's a bunch a, of shit. Definitely a director that I'm going to... And he made Wolf gonna... of Wall Street like five years ago. So he's still know? good. Like, definitely yeah. a director that I want to deep dive in on more. I mean, I'd be more interested in seeing this dude's old stuff, considering he's still making cool movies. Yeah. Um. I'd be more interested in deeping in, deep diving into this guy's old stuff than yeah. it would be like fucking Steven Spielberg. Maybe that's unfair because Steven Spielberg was good and his yeah, new shit's kind of vanilla. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> vanilla. That's a uh, yeah, very yeah. fucking generous term for what Spielberg is now. Yeah. Interestingly, Martin Scorsese did one of the first concert films of all time, The Last Worlds. Fantastic. Huh. Yeah. There you go. You didn't think I'd be able to shoehorn Bob Dylan into another episode of the show, Fuck. but here we are again. <laughs> He's done it again, folks. Every every time I try to head him off at the pass, I need a I need a dump button for whenever you talk about a fucking musician from the sixties. <laughs> you wonder why this whole episode was muted, ladies and gentlemen. That's why. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. So what I was leading in with with that whole spiel about um, uh, narrative assemblies. Yeah is that I think he manages to do that really well. But while it's easy to talk about that because it feels like one of the main strengths of the film, he's also really, really clever with his editing, which is uh, even more, I would say, in Wolf of Wall Street, clear. The way that that film is edited, it's so crucial for its comedic timing, the way that it cuts and plays around with the sound and all sorts of shit, the way that it intercuts the narrations. Like, people forget, if you want a narration to work well with what's going on on screen, that's editing. Like, really, you have to make that, you have to make sure that the timing of what's going on on screen lines up really well well people and say that editing is really important but i watched the oscars last night and they don't even have an award for it so like yeah well what's the point in even talking about editing at all or i'm like, so angry i don't even have a bit or like valuing it because yeah. there's not man the oscars is like the night and nights and if they don't respect your craft there where would they They should start it? making birdman should be the only <laughs> film that can win an oscar from now on because it does its best to like not have any cuts <laughs> Uh, yes. It's still cinematography then, which they're also getting rid of. <laughs> no, you have to del- <laughs> deliberately go out of your way to fuck every yeah. shot in every movie. <laughs> it's just like it's lens flares and shaky <laughs> cam. Yeah, just and like most of the time it's pointed at all of the crew and the film equipment instead of being the actual shot. Rule of thirds? How about the rule of sevenths, baby? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's the 180 degree rule. It's always pointed 180 degree away from the talent. <laughs> <laughs> That's a niche one. No need to no need to <laughs> edit the narration around the scenes that are actually going on. Henry, if you just stand off set and just shout into the boom <laughs> mic, then we'll just do the narration like that. That'll be fine. Costumes? Nah, there aren't any anymore. <laughs> Fucking hell. Just rock up wearing whatever you want. Uh Coldplay? Yeah, that'll be fine. If you got do. them on a t-shirt. I don't know what comes up in my recommended fucking videos on YouTube. That's what we're <laughs> using. Fuck. I want I want my last four hours of YouTube browsing history to win an Academy Award in 2050. We need a fucking... <laughs> we need a uh, an indie award ceremony to come up and fucking undercut the Oscars. I need an award ceremony that I can actually give a shit about. Because I think that indie award ceremony probably exists. It's just indie, so you don't know what it is. Yeah, I know, but i got to start following it. Mm. Listeners, if you know an indie are, award ceremony... We are the indie award ceremony. What are you talking about? Yeah, true. We literally did a best of... We are... But hey... Yeah, but we didn't split them into categories. Fuck the Oscars. Next year. Listen Next to year. Beef Station. Beef Station, uh, best of 2019. Get hyped. Abadamy Awards. <laughs> Abadamy Awards. 
<laughs> Didn't expect that to get <laughs> uh, even a repetition. <laughs> um, even a repetition. So yeah, uh, let me let me finally sarcasm. choke this fucking thought out so I can leave it dead behind. <laughs> In addition to being a great narrative storyteller, I think oh, shit, I yeah. think that under- sorry, you're still making a point. I think that undersells how well Scorsese also does everything else in his films. The soundtrack is used brilliantly. The editing's yeah. great. All of the shot composition and the cinematography is really good. Um, and it's one of those things where, like, there are some incredibly memorable moments in both of these films. I've seen The Wolf of Wall Street a lot more, so I remember things like when they all do... Um, I remember when Jonah Hill's character does a quaalude and he ends up, like, um, yelling about the Steve Madden guy. When he's actually talking about Steve Madden, isn't that funny? But the way that it reflects everyone, him jumping around and everyone jumping around and all the beer raining down in slow motion because he's done ludes. Like, <laughs> all of that cinematography very, very well captures the feeling that's going in that scene at the moment. Yeah. And I think he does that in a lot of these films where he'll choose to have a shot focus on a weird thing or focus in a weird way or linger for a really long time or whatever. And it captures the the tone of his film really, really well. So yeah. Goodfellas, in addition to most other Scorsese films that I've ever seen, I think he is an absolutely masterful director. Um, and I think that the people that he works with are also extremely good at their job in most of the endeavors that I've ever seen. Yeah, I was really impressed by it. I'm not I, sure if like he has like a pet cinematographer or a pet DP or, or whatever, but yeah. um, i got to start looking those up because <laughs> often I'll really enjoy films for those types of aspects and you yeah. can go through people's like um, people's filmographies that aren't the directors and, and find interesting shit. Yeah. So. All right, well, should we, should we wrap it up then? Yeah. Have you got a favorite scene from the movie? I reckon my favorite scene, my... Prime cut, if you will. Nice. From Goodfellas, I think it was probably either that phone booth scene that I talked about. The yep. Vertigo zoom in the cafe diner was really cool. Um, I also wrote down though the meatball scene. The last half, the That's whole so fucking good. the whole last half an hour where he's, he's like just looking out windows for the helicopter and like and doing he's like on the run from like the FBI and shit, fuck, but is great. also just like cooking meatballs. <laughs> It's so funny. It's very good. It's really good. So that's yeah. You, uh, you're gonna like the Sopranos, man. Yeah? You gotta get in on this shit. Okay, it's like cool. it's not quite reached that stage yet, but <laughs> it's it's in the early stages of being like that, where he's like trying to chase a dude down because he's gonna kill him, but his daughter like has to be dropped off at certain colleges <laughs> at certain points <laughs> in time. So he's like, "See you later, honey." And she's like, "Aren't you coming in to be with me in these parent-teacher meetings?" And he's like, "No, I'm gonna go." Uh, <laughs> Check what's on the bottom of my shoes as he's, <laughs> as he's like cocking a gun in the passenger seat. Yeah, it's fucking good. Oh man, no, I'm into it. Yeah. Um, have you got a better than worse than? I think fellas? this is better than The Departed. I think I liked Wolf of Wall Street better, but I yeah. think if I had seen Goodfellas at the time, I would probably think it was better. I just think that Wolf of Wall Street is a more millennial movie. Yeah. So, um, no, I, 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 I thought that was better. I definitely go that good. I, oh, yeah, I was going to say. Uh, Goodfellas is better than The Godfather. Yeah. Because I tried watching The Godfather and fell asleep when I was 15. Um, Big. And worse than Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, shit. Okay, if people haven't seen The Departed, this is better than Scarface, which I also watched at the same time. Man, that movie, I'll talk about that next no week. Bueno. That movie has not aged well at all, dude. Fucking hell. Okay. It is. Inse- I mean, I mean, like, I think one was made in like '76, <laughs> okay, and the other right. one was made like 14 years later. So, like, a lot of time ex- expired between the two. But okay. Well, in- instead of dissing publicly one of the greatest movies of all time, maybe we'll make that the beef station better than worse. Then we'll go. <laughs> Goodfellas is better than Scarface, worse than The Wolf of Wall Street. Sure.
Yeah, I still yeah I haven't watched The Godfather, but uh, you're probably right. I think it's probably more. I think Goodfellas Kubrick's films be- are just fucking slow, man. Kubrick didn't do the original Godfather, did he? No, you're right. I'm a fucking moron. It was Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, Coppola. Who did, who uh, did Apocalypse Now. A movie now. that you loved. That's what I meant. It's so <laughs> slow, though. Yeah, His films is. are so slow. I totally meant that. <laughs> That's about That about wraps us up on this week's episode of Beef Station. If you, enjoy, if, you, if you enjoy the show, please tell your friends. We'd love to have more people getting on the beef train. And if you don't, don't tell your friends. Don't but tell, tell your them friends. you enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like us on Facebook. That's Facebook.com. Facebook. <laughs> I, I don't remember I don't the think last I've time ever you said it right. Facebook.com slash Beef Station. <laughs> to be fair, that is a hard, bumpy road. Oh, yeah. Facebook.com slash <laughs> I hear .com and I'm still not entirely convinced <laughs> I said it right. Um, Facebook. God damn. Write a review for us on iTunes. Mm. You can do that. <laughs> that would be And useful. you should. Gina sent us an email about the episode going up late that said uh, it's about fucking time. So in response to that, piss off, Gina. Fuck you, Gina. It's a free podcast. How about busy, that, huh? Busy, We're busy, busy lives. And as I said... I was stuck in the toilet. Takes a lot to keep this station in the air, yeah. baby. We're going to crash into the surface of the sun if you we're not constantly that pumping that stuff. You sucker. think we have full-time employment outside of this? Uh-uh. I am no. running on a giant gerbil wheel <laughs> full-time that powers this fucking station. The whole time the whole time we record the podcast, no one is driving. We're in a soundproof booth because the klaxons are blazing out there. <laughs> As we speak, I'm going to have to run back to the controls and pull us up. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> We're about to hit a planet real fucking hard. Oh, <laughs> Please, if only. The planet is the end of this episode. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar. Andrew. See you later. Andrew.